0: episode of Theology Doesn't Suck, where hopefully theology doesn't suck, but if it does, as always, blame Marty. It's never my fault. <laughs> so, <laughs> how's it going, Marty?
1: How I'm do you like great. that for an intro? Hey, that, that's a pretty good intro. I guess that's what I get for telling you I'll never do, in, I'll, I'll never do the intro of the episode.
0: Yeah, that's your fault. <laughs> you should work on that. That way you can say hateful things about me on the intro. You know? But I wouldn't do that because I'm a nice guy, Josh. That's true. You are a pretty nice guy. I repent yeah. of my hatefulness. I'm sorry. Theology is good when Marty speaks too. It's all good.
1: Sometimes. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Well,
0: how's how's things been going, Marty? I know you've been kind of busy traveling around and such.
1: Yeah, I actually uh, just drove to New Mexico with the youth pastor at my church. Uh, I'm the I'm the missions pastor as well as the worship pastor. So he and I drove to New Mexico uh, to and we were actually in Navajo Nation, New Mexico. Oh, very cool. Um, And we were doing some just some research on mission trips and stuff like that, like a good location. And one of our one of our church missionaries is actually in Navajo Nation. So we got to go spend some time with him and uh, get to know him a little bit better. So it was it was a great trip, but it was long. We drove there and back. So it took a long time, but it was worth it.
0: Nice. That's pretty far. That's great. I hate driving. I drove an hour yesterday to go see my friend and it was like the worst thing ever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, but you can see I like driving because you can put on good music. You can listen to good podcasts. Um, oh, like theology so have- doesn't suck. Right. So I, I heard got that's to show- an
0: okay podcast <clears throat> at best
1: yeah, I got to show my 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 buddy, our podcast and uh, and then I also um showed him a couple other podcasts I like, uh, like American history tellers, like we were talking about last week, and uh, he really liked that. So it was it was fun to listen to some good stuff, but different things. And we really tried to he tried to listen to uh, books on tape. Um, mm. And so we first on the way there, we tried listening to Shutter Island. And there are so many details to that book. And it like we were like, I I have no idea what's going on right now (laughs) uh, because we're we're so used to like I'm so used to reading an actual book. And so it was so hard to like follow up with what was going on. And then we tried doing uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which was also it was better, but it was still really difficult to follow. Wow. So I don't know why podcasts are easier. I'm not sure what's so different about it. I have have no idea. So hmm.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I've never tried audio books, although perhaps I should. Because I started doing Kindle Unlimited, even though I prefer, you know, paper books and such, but they had a really good deal for like two bucks for two months, so I was like, might as well try it, and some of it comes yeah. with audio. But, uh, yeah. so, yeah, well, I think maybe what we should do is go ahead and jump in today, because we have yeah. a, a guest I'm pretty excited about, and in fact, actually, when I was thinking about, like, a way to to introduce our guest Um, I remembered a conversation we had off air with Brian Zahn the other week and Brian we were talking to Brian about the show and we told him that we had this guy called Shane Claiborne coming on the podcast and Brian said all sorts of nice things and uh, this is the intro Brian gave Brian said I'm Christian ish but Shane Claiborne is a real Christian and so today we have with us a real life Christian Shane Claiborne how's it going Shane
2: (laughs) it's good to be with y'all. I love O'Brien's on. Good brother right there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Good
2: to be with y'all, man.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, for taking time out of your day to, to chat with us. We're excited. Um, and so just just so you know, there's a question that we ask everybody who comes on the show. It's super serious. I'm and, excited
1: about this one.
0: Yeah. And you have to answer even if you feel like you don't have one. Okay. All right. What is your favorite hockey team? <laughs>
2: Oh, looks to wife. Fly, <laughs> the fly. The Philadelphia Flyers are are on. They're they're just on fire, man. So that's who I'm. Is it true? Man? Are they good?
0: Yeah. <laughs> awesome, sweet. Yeah. That. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So for people who don't know, you guys uh, live. Do you live pretty much full time in Philadelphia?
2: I've been in Philly for over twenty years. Okay. And, uh, that's where our community, you know, I've been a part of that for for the whole time there. I grew up in Tennessee. That's where I am right now, okay. so um, kind of keep a, a foot in both worlds. So I'm down here hanging out with my folks, and um, uh, I'm, I I tried this thing yesterday, you guys, called the air chair. Okay. They live on a lake, so the air chair is essentially a like surfboard, but underneath it, there's a there's a ski that goes underwater so it moves up and down like a rudder and it it bounces on the water like a pogo stick so that's what i was doing yesterday maxing down
0: that's awesome that's funny that's cool i'm gonna have to try that so much
2: fun (laughs) yeah it's real fun it's it's fun after about the first 10 times you fall you know like you got to get used to it a little bit but okay
0: Right on, <laughs> sweet. Yeah, well, that's that's good to know. The Flyers. So we, I'm a Washington Capitals fan, and uh, Marty likes the Blackhawks. But yeah, uh, we like to ask people that question. Just you know, it's fun and get people hyped up and semi-nervous because you know we say, oh, it's super important, and then people <laughs> are like, oh no, what are they gonna ask? <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Uh, but so we're gonna uh, be talking about uh, your book today called "Beating Guns." Uh, But before we did that, I wanted to know could you give us just like a little bit of background information, like your upbringing, who are you, that kind of stuff, uh, so our listeners know if they have not encountered you before?
2: Yeah, cool. So I'm a Tennessee boy, grew up down here. Um, I went up to Philadelphia to go to college. I, I just sort of wanted to see the world a little bit. I hadn't been to many big cities, you know, and stuff. So I fell in love with Philly while I was in college. It was a group of, um, we, my my college friends took me down to spend time with folks on the street um, that didn't have homes and everything. And so we, we um, in the middle of college, we're spending a lot of time going back and forth. And then um, a group of homeless families that was mostly made up of moms and children uh, ended up living in an abandoned Catholic church building in the on the north side of Philly. And uh, that's where we really mobilized the student movement because they were facing eviction; they were getting kicked out by the Catholic Church. And uh, we, you know, we we mobilized students to stand in solidarity with them. And out of that, um, we we really pulled together a community that started the simple way uh, back in the 1900s. So this is uh, like 1997, <laughs> Ian, um, um And we've been, you know, we've been doing that work of. Um, trying to come alongside people who are on the street folks who um, many of the folks in our neighborhood uh, are wrestling with addiction, you know, and so we're doing a lot of stuff uh, in the neighborhood, planting gardens, painting murals, hanging out with kids um, and giving out food and things like that. We do affordable housing now. And so we're fixing up an abandoned house uh, and that's kind of what we do. But we also like, I like how Martin Luther King said, we're we're called to be the good Samaritan and lift our neighbor out of the ditch. But after you lift so many people out of the ditch, you start to say, we need to rethink the whole road to Jericho. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we do nowadays too is try to figure out why people are in the ditch and why um, some people have so much and other people have so little.
0: Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Um, that That's really cool. The I know I, I really enjoyed, so I've read um, like, uh, pretty much everything that you've written, <laughs> but I, I know I really enjoyed uh, a lot of the stories you share about like the simple way of things in, uh, the, your book, Irresistible Revolution. Um, my students, so here's a, a thing about me. My students make fun of me cause I'm kind of emotional and I, I tend to be a crier. And, uh, so like <laughs> I distinctly remember sitting on the beach in, uh, in Florida reading Irresistible Revolution. I put on sunglasses because it was making me cry. So, <laughs> That's your fault, man. Way to go! Yeah,
2: that's really sweet. That's 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 very. Uh, that it's very. It's moving me to tears. No, yeah. I um, that's really that's sweet. Yeah. So I wrote that book. Um, you know, a bunch of years into our community, I guess is about ten years. Is over ten years ago because I had to go back and do a ten year anniversary edition, right? Yeah, Where that's I'm the familiar. one I read. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. So that was somebody else's idea. Go back and you know look at the old book and uh, kind of give it a little bit of a facelift. So yeah, that was my, my first one. And then I I've done quite a few books since then. A lot of them are collaborative. So we did a mm-hmm. prayer book called common prayer. We did, um uh, Jesus for president yep. which is kind of think it's a, it's a good one for these days. Cause it's kind of thinking how, like what, there you go. Product <laughs> placement. Um, yeah, like, uh, uh, yeah, like, like, uh, you know, how how do Christians engage in this election seasons like we're in right now without kind of losing our soul or putting all of our hope in a candidate or party, but not not ignoring that these things really matter, you know? And I think that's why I've gotten more involved with some of these issues is like the, the Executing Grace mm-hmm. was um, about the death penalty, and this book is about guns. Um, but they're much bigger than that, you know? Right. Just like you guys know, they... They surface a lot of theological issues that really go to the very <laughs> core of our faith, um, and some of our history around racism, and and uh, you know uh, j- just those things all kind of surface when we talk about things like the death penalty or um, our gun violence. Like where did that come from? And I-, I really think that these are not just political issues; they're also spiritual issues and mm. you know d- d- deep uh-huh. moral issues. Uh, so um, that's why I've kind of been. Honing in on a couple of different things Like uh, the death penalty and gun violence
0: Yeah, awesome I know, uh, I'll just be honest with you You've, I've, I've got myself into trouble for quoting Somebody named Shane Claiborne On social media before It's happened to me a bunch of times So maybe I have to be more careful <laughs> No, but it's, it's awesome So yeah, we're, we're so excited uh, to, to talk to you about uh, the latest book You mentioned, Beating Guns um, And unfortunately, it's like a pretty Timely uh, subject, um, you know, to be discussing, and um, I know uh, me personally. I, I really enjoyed reading uh, reading your book. I've had some uh, discussions, we'll call them that, on social media with some people uh, around some of your, some of the ideas and, and concepts, and um, so we're excited to uh, to chat with you about that today. Um, but before before we jumped into it, though, I wanted to. You know, because I've heard you speak about this before, and also the the note to the readers in the in the front of the book. Um, I kind of wanted to break down some walls because as soon as you start talking about guns, people tend to get really defensive um, and kind of lose their stuff. And I, I've heard you say before um, that you're that you're not so much anti-gun as you are a champion of life in general. Um,
2: so can you speak to that for a little bit? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you said that this is timely, but the fact is that it's been timely for for over 50 years mm. that we've had this epidemic of gun violence that is unprecedented anywhere else in the industrial world, you know. Um, and uh, just to, to break that down, like in, in the last 50 years, there's been more people killed domestically by firearms than in all of our wars in American history. Wow. Um, So it is, to me, it is about life. And we're losing 105 lives every day to guns. Um, And I I believe that every one of those lives matter. They are made in the image of God. It breaks God's heart. And this goes all the way back to the original sin outside the garden, uh, which was Cain and Abel, you know, a brother killing a brother. So Violence is is a, something that we've dealt with for a long time. But the gun violence is a very particular manifestation of that, um, that I really think we we can do better at protecting life. And the fact is, we've been we've been better at protecting guns than, <laughs> than lives. And we've been um, some Christians have been more concerned about the Second Amendment than um, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, mm. and the command jesus and thou shalt not kill and those things that go to the heart of our faith so i i don't think that we are going to save every life obviously and we and it's not that that um guns are the only problem i think that there's there's when, when folks tell us it's not a gun problem it's a heart problem we uh say it's both you know and god heals hearts and people change laws and policies to try to do a better job at protecting life so um the good news is that, I, that a lot of gun owners are really uh, rethink, that they're, – they're supporting common-sense gun laws like the fact that, you know, we might not should have assault weapons on the street, you know, hmm. any more than a grenade. So if a gun shoots more than 10 rounds, why do you need it? Why do you need a silencer, you know, things like that? If you're on a no-fly list, maybe you should be on a no-gun list. If you've hmm. been convicted of domestic violence – um, maybe you should have a harder time getting guns. So those, those are, I think some of the basic questions that we're asking. And, and like I said, I don't, I don't think a law can change a human heart. So we still also have to do with, deal with the violence and you can get rid of all the guns and people will turn pressure cookers into bombs, like, or drive a car into a crowd. We can, we will find ways to kill each other, but there are some things that are designed to kill and not pressure cookers or cars but like you know AR15s they're designed to kill as many people as possible as quickly as possible and that's what they keep getting used for sure absolutely yeah that um
0: the you touched on it but like that it seems like um and you you say a lot about this in the book but uh there's people gun owners that that are really advocating for these common sense gun laws but then also the one thing that everybody thinks of when they think about guns is the NRA, right? And, uh, but you pointed out kind of in your book that the NRA doesn't necessarily speak for the majority of gun owners in this country. Is, that's,
2: is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And I like to distinguish between gun owners and gun extremists. Sure. right? And, and so there's, I mean, but here's the other thing is, is two-thirds of Americans live without guns. So even when it comes to gun owners, you know, uh, a third, and I grew up with guns. My family still has guns for keeping coyotes, you know, off the farm for, um, you know, hunting things like that. Um, but even of those gun owners, the third of Americans that do own guns, um, uh, when the NRA says that we represent 5 million people, even if we give them the, the benefit of the doubt on that, um. What they're also saying is over ninety percent of gun owners are not members of the NRA, and I think that's where it becomes really helpful to see that they' they've kind of owned they, they've owned the narrative of gun owners in America, but they don't represent even a majority, even close to a majority of gun owners. They have a very small percentage uh, around five percent or so, right? Um, so um, and and I, I think the NRA. They do own a lot of the politicians, yeah. They've created the stalemate. So, but if you look at how the NRA began, it's kind of come a long way from its roots. Which uh, I mean, there were some like dicey stuff from the beginning, but they were also trying to train kids and young, you know, and, and uh, uh, gun safety. They they stood against um, some gun, gun uh, guns that were used by the mafia and stuff like that. So there's a, kind of a history of like a little bit more reason, uh, but there's been these splits in it and, and now we're left with really what I think is safe to say, um, a real extremist position that is uncompromising and has this rhetoric that um the only problem to our or the only solution to our gun problem is more guns. Hmm. And that sounds suspiciously like someone that's just out to sell guns. And I think that's exactly what they've come to represent, not gun owners, but gun manufacturers and gun profiteers that are making money off the sales of guns.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, Shane, I I totally agree with all that. And a couple of days ago you had tweeted out uh, the similar concept that you had just kind of pointed out of, you know, there's no reason to own a gun that can shoot off more than 10 rounds at a time. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm a big history buff. I like, I love colonial American colonial history. And I know that obviously, you know, at that point when people were moving here and, you know, colonizing this, this area of the country and, or of the world. And then, uh, after that, as they were beginning to homestead and move West, you know, even as they were, you know, as the white man was fighting (laughs) off the Indians, you know, on the homestead, I mean, they didn't have guns that shot off 60 rounds at a time or something like that. You know, they had they had rifles that shot off one that they'd have to reload <laughs> they had they had a gun that you know maybe could hold two rounds and then even as time went on in, the, in the, like the late 1800s i mean i you know even though there were probably guns available that could do more than that, And those were like largely reserved to the military. Um, and so I think back, you know, as to like with, like the purpose of guns, the purpose of a of like the actual firearm being invented and created. You know, I, although it was a wartime thing, there there was this so almost like this ability to create something and turn it into like a like the homestead use, like fighting off coyotes and you know feeding your family, which I think was like an actual good use of the weapon. Uh, but I think that's turned into something else, as you were talking about these days. So I just thought about that and sort of like the historical context is always important to me.
2: Yeah, well, thanks for your thoughts on that. And I, I want to be really careful not to whitewash history, though, and, and though that, you know, folks had, you know, a gun for, that they often thought of as a tool. In fact, the gunsmiths made these by hand. They weren't mass yeah. manufactured, right? So right. they were much more like a tool uh, but then as we began to create these guns, they were used exactly for the massacre of, of natives. Uh, Correct, and, right. You know, to the point that Native Americans called them spirit spirit weapons because mm-hmm. they yeah. must come from a malevolent deity because how could a human invent something so terrible on their own? You know, we did really, really terrible things. And not only that, some of the first gun control issues were around keeping native americans and enslaved and, and african americans from having access to guns so yeah. white folks really believed in gun control
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah right right
2: because a lot of native communities had more money than those frontier folks that are just trying to make it off the land and stuff right and so right. um but like the scofield revolver uh one of the most famous you know historic guns they, he, he said um he wanted no other occupation than to ward off the savage and kill off their food until there could no longer be an Indian frontier in this beautiful country. Wow. So yeah. some of these, I mean, there's some really deeply entrenched uh, racism, obviously, that even goes into our Constitution and mm-hmm. early documents of our country where we called natives, you know, savages and, and black folks, three-fifths humans. So I think we got that's part of this history that we've got to deal with because it even goes up to more recently where— Um, You know, Ronald Reagan in California, when Black Panthers marched in public open carrying, really began to talk about gun control. (laughs) uh, But all the way up to Philando Philando Castile, right, who was an African-American legal gun owner that said to a police officer— I have a gun and um, then he was killed, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and so th- this is that that history, not just with guns, but with every element, I think, in American history, um, we haven't dealt with the racism of our past. And so it keeps surfacing. Right. And yeah, we can't right. get our history. We can't get our future right till we get our history right. So we can see that in the guns. But the other thing that you said that's really interesting is that a lot of these once we started creating guns that shot that shot multiple rounds right these repeater guns or or semi-automatic guns they they um uh, we we began to move away from what the when we look at the second amendment right it was written at a time where guns fired one round a minute right, right. and now we be, now we have guns that shoot 100 rounds a minute, minute you know and so, or more and so we've we've kind of our technology has evolved and but yet our uh, our interpretation of the well-regulated part yeah. <laughs> of that <laughs> yeah. has not changed at all. It's absolutely one of the most unregulated industries in our country, and these are things that are made to to kill, you know, to take life. So there's, there's actually more regulations on a toy gun than on a real gun, and we mentioned that in our book. You know, like, like if, I, if I shoot you with a Nerf gun and it puts your eye out, you can sue Nerf. Uh but you can't do that with the gun industry it 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 uh exploits this absolute immunity to any legal responsibility so that's that's part of our problem and when people are talking about common sense changes, it's things like that you know um, uh, not not allowing this immunity within the gun industry any more than we would around uh any other industry,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, that um, you just mentioned this, but uh, it stood out to me in your book, and this is going to make me look a little bit stupid, like I don't know U.S. history or something, but you pointed out uh, very clearly that the Second Amendment states a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. When I learned the Second Amendment, I only learned the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I was never taught the first bit. And also you pointed out that the NRA, uh, in their I guess in their headquarters or whatever... They only have that second bit, the right of the people to you know, keep in bear arms shall not be infringed, and people shy away from the well-regulated bit.
2: Yeah, and James Madison, who was one of the authors of the Second Amendment, said something really powerful. He said that liberty can be uh, in danger because of the abuse of power. But liberty can also be in danger because of the abuse of liberty. So one person's unregulated freedom to do whatever they want can encroach on someone else's, uh, you know, right, well-being and public health and the right to live. And um, so that's, I think, exactly what we see in the gun industry is the exploitation of uh, one person's unregulated rights. Right. So I want to have as many guns as I want and they can shoot as much power as I want and and so you got you got folks that have uh military weapons on the streets and, and yep. why does someone need a gun that can shoot a hundred rounds a minute and this is not just speculation this is exactly the type of gun and and um um uh the the capacity of the the magazine that was used in dayton right and mm-hmm. so this is like keep getting used over and over so um yeah or you think about i mean our big the big shooting in las vegas and this was a man shooting out of an uh, Um, you know, hotel room, like basically military style weapons and um, into the crowd there at the concert. So yeah, that's, that's what we're thinking about is like, what does it look like to, we don't have grenades on our streets, so maybe we we can do a little bit better, better at protecting life. And there's laws that I think this is where we can really have some good conversations. Like one of the best allies in the movement right now is gun owners against gun violence. Yeah. Yeah hunters against assault weapons, groups like that, um, where one of the shirts that they wear is a, uh, a good hunter doesn't need 10 rounds to shoot a deer. <laughs> um, you know, cause they're, they're kind of pointing out the absurdity of these, these things. But, um, um, when, when we look at the, the way the second amendment was set up without a doubt was to make sure that state it's basically like a state national guard, these state militias, mm-hmm. um, were able to be used as a security force. Now, they were also used as slave patrols. There yeah. were many dynamics of this that were deeply oppressive, especially to people of color. But um, uh, that, that that's what we were originally talking about. It was only like... Uh, uh, ten years, a little over ten years ago, that the Supreme Court ruled that that's an individual right, right? Mm-hmm. Not just a, the right of a militia or an organized group, but an individual can have guns. But even when they ruled that, they said this is still not unregulated. We still need limits, and it shouldn't be any type of weapon. I mean, this is what some of the most, you know, uh, conservative judges were saying. So yeah, we've 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 been held hostage, really, literally, like by the NRA on some of that to to go um well can't we can't we do a better job at protecting life um and there's things like one handgun a month <laughs> a, a law that we we kind of suggest in our book is a not a you know is a good idea it's not saying you can't have guns it's not saying you can't even have handguns but it's going um anyone that's buying more than twelve handguns in a year is probably not making the world safer, right? <laughs> so like, like one handgun a month law, and still the, those laws get overturned in states like Virginia. So um, yeah, that, that's kind of what we're talking about. Guns that, you know, shoot more than 10 rounds without reloading. And uh, the, 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 those are the ones that we're going, maybe maybe we could do better at protecting life. And it's not just laws. Like one of the things we talk about in the book too, as you know, Josh, is, is we've got um, uh, uh, like technology, like fingerprint technology that operates our uh, phones and security systems. We could totally have smart gun technology that would allow guns to operate off of a fingerprint. So, you know, a child finds it in the house, it would be very difficult to accidentally shoot. Um, uh, Someone steals the gun or someone wants to take their own life. If their fingerprint isn't the one that it's designed for, it would, would, I I think, uh, have the capacity to save a lot of life. And we've done that with cars, we have airbags, we have other things that we've done to try to um, in, in improve our technology, but guns uh, the resistance to that has come from that kind of extremist gun lobby that doesn't you know want anyone to touch their guns or the way that they work
0: Yeah, that um, I think it's interesting too that, that you pointed this out that a lot of you know some of the biggest advocates are, are gun owners, um, and I've, I've heard you say before that like... Uh, some of the people that, um, you know, support a lot of the work that you guys are doing, even with like raw tools and stuff, are our gun owners, police officers, because gun violence doesn't discriminate. You know, it doesn't it doesn't only affect Democrats. It doesn't only affect Republicans. But citizens are being killed. Police officers are being killed. Uh, you know, people are killing themselves. So it's a it's a larger issue than just like us versus them
2: uh, kind of thing. Yeah, as we continue to dig in, I think that's really helpful because sometimes we just think in terms of the mass shootings, and that that's really important. I mean, that's the like open wound in America. I mean, that that you know that just doesn't happen in other places. When it happened in New Zealand, they immediately took action, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but but mass shootings um, really only make up a small percentage of the overall gun violence in our country, um, and two thirds of the lives lost are suicide and guns are really uh, so significant in that because they're so lethal, you know, mm. 90, over 90% of the folks who try to take their life with a gun end up dying. But the opposite's true by almost every other method. 90% of people survive uh, their first suicide attempt when it's not by gun and they don't go on to take their own life. They actually usually go on to get help or, to rethink the crisis that they're in and, and you know, the value of their life and, or to get medication or whatever. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot to the suicide element that is a big part of uh, the lives lost. But you mentioned um, police, too. It's, it, we think of the, the officers that were shot in Philadelphia. Thankfully, none of them died. But. The number one cause of death is uh, um, guns of, you know, police killed in the line of duty. Over 90 percent are killed by guns. So these AR-15s are these, you know, we still have bullets that are designed to pierce through body armor. So this is all a part of that conversation. The number one cause of death of our military uh, service members is not combat, but it's suicide. Um, more More military service members are dying from their own guns than enemy combatant guns. And, um, it's a tragedy much bigger than the guns, but I think they, they are, you know, a big part of that. Um, how, you know, why that, that the suicide rate is almost one per hour of our military service Mm -hmm. members. Um, so, and and children, you know, we think of the lives of our kids and it's the, the largest cause of death of African-American kids is guns. It's the second largest for all kids. So, this is, you know, when we think about our kids. And that's why, for me, this is not just a political issue. Um, it's a part of what it means to be a champion of life, as mm-hmm. you said. And The irony is that in America, um, we've so narrowly defined what it means to be pro-life, the one issue of abortion. And I think abortion is important. I care deeply about reducing and eradicating abortion, but but it's not the only life issue, right? And Uh, the the, the wild thing is that you can say that you're pro-life in America and still be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, you know, and pro-death on almost every other issue as long as you're you're pro-life on abortion. So um, I like that more and more people are considering uh, this a, a life issue as well as immigration and the environment and the death penalty. These are all uh, uh, issues that I think we, we need to think about what it means to be pro-life on them, them too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, that's one thing I really, uh, have always appreciated and admired about you, Shane, is that you're so, uh, consistent across, you know, across the board with your ethics. You don't just pick and choose, um, when I, especially when it comes to matters of life. So I've always found that to be admirable. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, but also to you, you mentioned briefly here, uh, about police officers and, um, you know, people having armor piercing rounds and things like that. My, one of my best friends is a police officer. Um, and he, <laughs> so I might, I told you I'm a crier. I might get emotional, but like he, he knows that I pray for him every day that he never has to pull the trigger on his gun. And that's, that's my prayer for him. And, uh, also he knows that the day that he does have to do that that i'll be there that i'll be there for him and um it, like i guarantee you <laughs> that he doesn't want people you know walking around with with bigger weapons than than the police officers are carrying you know to inflict harm on himself and other police officers that are trying you know to to protect um the lives of of their citizens so that that's something that that hits home personally for me just because you know, I have somebody that every day is on the front lines in Baltimore, which you know how Baltimore is. <laughs> so I think about him often. And
2: we, and we've got a, a young man in our, our community that is a, uh, just graduated from the police Academy and he's a new police officer. So we think of him a lot, you know, um, and we put, our, we put our law enforcement folks in a really terrible situation where we've got more guns than people in this country, more guns than people. And, <laughs> Um, so they're, they're constantly, uh, victims of, of, of gun violence and expecting guns to be pulled on them. And, you know, often are pulling their guns and using them. Um, and I think of, you know, like Tommy Rice, uh, who was a, a young boy killed in Ohio. Right. And we, we did, uh, one of our gun transformations with, some of his family, and as they're beating on the gun, they're thinking of a police officer that killed their young boy, you know, um, because he had a toy gun, and, mm-hmm. and uh, they, within a minute, you know, had killed him. And so that that it's it's in it, it is a toxic environment of of gun violence that we really do need to think of as a public health um, crisis that needs an immediate response, you know, um, and. Um, not something that we should normalize and just you know hear another mass shooting or or live another day where you know 105 lives are lost and we just we just are are allowing that to be the normal state of our country when it when it doesn't need to be Mm
1: -hmm. hey shane I, i wanted to ask you a question um so as i was reading through your book um to be honest, um, I come from a family of people who um, hunting wasn't really ever a big deal until I was much older. Uh, my dad kind of got into it, but no one was ever very good at it. <laughs> so, like, so they my need dad the liked, many shots. <laughs> yeah, he, he he liked he liked the idea of you know going to the range you know and being able to practice, but then never really had the time or interest in going. But my my wife's dad, uh, before he passed away, he was a big hunter. He would go you know three four times a week uh, or, or any time he had available. Uh, during hunting season, um, he was not a Christian, and so uh, one eight the 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 whole uh, chapter thirteen in this book was actually really interesting to me the whole Christians with guns concept Mm -hmm. and like that whole thing with all that. And, uh, the story at the beginning of the chapter of the, of the people of the two people that got in the the contest over a Bible quoting. And then, you know, even though you said, I'm not really sure how how true this might be, (laughs) but it appears to be true. Um, and then as I was driving across the country, I did see like this picture a lot, you know, like the, we buy guns or, you know, guns for sale, but then like Jesus is Lord and those types of things. Um, And so I was curious to, to know from you, just like your thoughts, um, you know, how does, how, how does the Christian, like, I I guess, and being from Tennessee, you probably see this even deeper than maybe other places. Like how does the, like the conservative quote unquote Christian world come across your thoughts on guns? And I mean, I mean, it might seem like an obvious answer, but I guess I'd love to hear what you had to say about that because, um, Whenever I talk to people that are Christians, typically in like the area that I live, you know, like the northern Illinois area, kind of the suburbs and where they can drive two hours away and go hunting or go shoot guns and no one's around in Wisconsin. Um, It seems to be that like it's the, the idea is don't take away my guns. You know, this is just for fun kind of a deal, but they don't actually really know much about much more than like what their simple Floyd card safety class, you know, told them about guns. So I was curious, how, how does the Christian right <laughs> generally respond to your thoughts on these things? Cause the life aspect is great and I, I'm not sure why they'd miss that.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I think increasingly too, this is not just an issue of left or right, but it, it, it really is an issue of right or wrong. And particularly <laughs> a lot of young, a, a lot of young people um, kind of, are squirmy with those categories, you know, like a lot of the millennial Christians I meet, they're just like baffled by uh, the death penalty and gun violence. You know, they, 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 that, so they're, they're I think that there's some really encouraging signs, but the fact is that where we're at right now is quite, quite a funk. Um, and um, you mentioned, you know, we started that section, I think by uh, researching this story of a Bible quizzing tournament, you know, like that. the, the we we had these growing up where you memorize Bible verses and you're in a competition and uh, the guy that lost ended up shooting the guy that won (laughs) and kind of going, maybe we missed the the point of all this. And and again, that one was, the the wild thing was, I mean, it's a tragic story because someone lost their life, but we were like, as I was researching that, what stunned me was, all the other stories of people arguing over the Bible that ended up shooting each other. Like, you know, my Google yeah. searches, were pulling all these up and like, Oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> and then you begin to see like, as we research that Christians actually own guns at a higher rate than the general population. And we have pastors that are encouraging uh, their folks to bring guns to church. There's a whole society of folks that want to protect the flock is the language, you know, and they're, coming with guns to church so we've traveled around the country with a, a Bible case that says the Holy Bible on it, but then you open it up and it's actually a, a carry case for a gun mm-hmm. and a, a magazine in there. So it's a, con, a concealed case that that's designed to look like a Bible case. So this is stuff that like just blows the mind, you know, but I think what we saw is that, that this surfaces some really important questions about um, where we put our trust, right? Uh-huh. And the Bible and the gun, uh, or our faith and, and the gun, the cross and the gun, give us two really different versions of what power looks like. Mm-hmm. And the cross says, I'm willing to die, um, the gun says, I'm willing to kill. And we think about like the language of idolatry, which we use in the book, but we're very careful to use that not just in some cheap sense to throw it around, but like idolatry is something that we give godlike power to, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And we began to really create a reverence around and, um, a protection of that. Right. So we think about our absolute infatuation with guns. I think it's not inaccurate to call it a form of idolatry, sure, um, sure. where we where now our power, our security, uh, Everything is able to to lie in this this uh, gun, you know um, and and it's it's in such contrast, I think, to Jesus and to the early Christians who <laughs> were very willing to die but not to kill. And they saw the cross and obviously not the gun, but the sword were, were at odds with each other. and and the early Christians said, you know, you can't carry uh, a cross in one hand and a sword in the other. To love our enemies means we shouldn't kill them, and um, and the best case in the Bible that we have, I think, that we is, is where Peter actually picks up his sword to protect Jesus, and Jesus scolds Peter and tells oh. him, "No, you pick up the sword, you die by the sword. Put that away." Um, and then he heals the man that that Peter wounded, and the early Christians just saw that as the final triumph over our idea of redemptive violence right of violence to protect the innocent and they said when jesus disarmed peter he disarmed every one of us because if ever there was a case for standing your ground right or using violence to protect the innocent peter had the best case in the world and of course as we know peter will actually go on not to kill um but to die for jesus and and that was really um the trajectory of the early church it was it was just it was unimaginable that in the first 200, 300 years of Christianity that you could use violence and be a Christian. Um, <laughs> that just wasn't even a uh, something that they they could believe at all. There's not not in in the first 300 years of Christianity, no one is defending violence. They consistently stood against violence in every form. Uh, yeah. There's a really great book on that um, by my friend Ron Sider. The early church on killing. The early, the early church on killing. What the what the early Christians said about abortion, about the death penalty, about uh, violence and war, and every of uh, every other manifestation. Uh, for them, that even meant speaking out against the gladiatorial games because they saw it um, really as um, uh, sort of a, a celebration of violence in their culture.
0: Yeah, the um, that. <sighs> That's, I think, one of the most common things that I get from people when I talk about, um, you know, nonviolence and, and things like that is like, wow, well, you're an idiot because when someone breaks into your house and kills your family, now what are you going to do? Like, you're, you're an idiot. That's often what I'm told. So, like, that—and uh, then that story of, of, you know, Jesus disarming Peter and then, um, you know, like you were saying, the early Christians saying, uh, you know, when Jesus disarmed Peter, he disarmed, you know, Christians for good— uh, those Those things like really stand out to me, but often uh people bring up this idea of of self defense and I know you, you just touched on it you talked about um you know the disarming there and, and uh you know Peter having the best case scenario used for redemptive violence but do you, would you have any more advice for for somebody uh who faces that you know constantly like the the whole stand your ground kind of thing
2: Yeah, well. I, I think that that um, w- one of the things I would step back and, and say is that um, I really do think that we need to challenge this myth that the, that the answer to a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Um, and, and when you look at the statistics, that just doesn't prove to be true. Um, one, even gun owners, when they're in a violent situation, do not usually use a gun to defend themselves. They usually aren't able to get to their gun or whatever, you know, like the the gun, having a gun in the house is more likely to um, hurt someone in your own family or have someone take their own life with that gun than it is to be used um, against an intruder, right? Um, so we kind of unpack that. Um, in a lot of different ways in the book, because I think it's one of our deeply entrenched ideas is that if I just had a gun, I could have protected myself. And yet, you know, there's so many stories of the Waffle House shooter here in Tennessee, where a young man was able to disarm him without a gun. And there's certainly cases where a gun was used um, to disarm someone in a violent situation, but it's so exceptional that. When the studies are looked at, it, it's just as likely that you would use Mace or a cell phone um, to, to to disarm someone in a violent situation. Um, and uh, in the case of uh, uh, Senator G- or Congresswoman Giffords, um, you know, there was a guy that had a gun. He said, "I would have shot the wrong person in that situation because it's often so chaotic that you don't know." And if there are other good guys with guns, you can't tell one from the other. You know, so it's I think I think it at the end of the day there's a very there's a very strong argument that guns do not make us safer. Mm-hmm. Right. Um that where there are more guns, there are more people dying from guns and from suicide by guns. But also for me as a Christian, um there's a real part of this that just goes, What looks most like Jesus? Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. As a Christian, like I'm not even promised that everything's going to be great. Um, I mean, look at the early Christians. Most of their stories end by them dying. And my goal is not for us all to die, but I'm just saying, I think we created, um, this, this culture that is driven by fear mm-hmm, and a fear of dying. Um, that is actually unchristlike. It's unbiblical. Um, our, our obsession with fear, um, and, and, for the early Christians. They lived in a really, really violent time too. Um, but they knew that what we are to do is to shine in the darkness. We are to live non-violently in a violent world. Our allegiance is to the cross in a world of the sword. And that was part of their witness. And there's so many stories of them you know, converting even their enemies uh, to the way of Jesus because of their love, um, even in the face of that violence. So, you know, the the very famous thing of the, the early church was, you know, in the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the saints. So when you killed one Christian, ten more were born from the seeds of that love and that witness. And, and again, I don't want to idolize, like, there are people in our world that are dying, you know, um, in, in, in persecuted areas of, of Christianity, so it's not to um, to say that 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 violence is 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 uh, we don't want people to die, right? Right. In the end, I think that that it does really raise some important questions about um, what we are called to be faithful to, and um, and it, and it's really hard to justify. the the gun as a way of fitting into uh, a a faithful discipleship of the Prince of Peace, right? Um, And I say this, you know, living in a neighborhood where we have a ton of violence, but some of the scariest stuff has happened um, from police officers that have come in with their guns blazing in times that they didn't need to be, right? And um, I've had guns pulled on me by the police, and so those are, like, those are scary times where we've um and and the guns, the guns are um, not making us safer. You know, so that that's what I I want to you know say. But I, I think also as a Christian, there's a whole different conversation I think around what faithful discipleship looks like, especially when we have pastors saying, you know, bring your guns to church <laughs> and we should arm ourselves. Or <laughs> Gary Falwell at the mm. biggest you know college Christian college in the country, encouraging all their students to. Uh, uh, get, you know, gun licenses and carry guns on campus, you know? Uh, so th- yeah, this is, uh, this doesn't look at all like the Christianity of Christ, um, uh, <laughs> when, ca- when we're carrying guns at a higher rate than our population.
0: Yeah. yeah and they it just, that whole thing with Jerry Falwell, like that really stands out to me. And Marty and I have had conversations about this before. Cause when this first happened, I was like super pissed. <laughs> like Marty had to calm me down a little bit. But Falwell goes on record for saying if more good people had concealed carry permits, then we could end those Muslims before they walked in. Let's teach Muslims a lesson before they show up here. And then he arms his students, creates the one of the largest, if not the largest, gun ranges in the entire country on a Christian university property. That blows my mind. <laughs> like, I don't know. I can't reconcile those two things. Even... You know, even for somebody who is pro-gun in the sense of like I hunt or you know I protect my farm animals from coyotes, whatever. Like I don't; those things just don't. They don't compute. <laughs> I don't get it.
2: Yeah. Well, here's the thing: is Jerry Falwell Jr. doesn't uh, doesn't try to reconcile those things either. There's an interview with him, powerful interview, where the reporter says, "How?" He's asking specifically, "How do you reconcile?" Your loyalty to Jesus and your loyalty to Trump. And Jerry Falwell says, "I don't look to Jesus when it comes to shaping my political beliefs." Mm-hmm. And that statement, which is caught on video, um, is is very important because I think what has happened in white evangelical Christianity, in particular. Is we've actually kind of lost our centering on Jesus, and when that happens, we end up defending a lot of things that Jesus would never defend, and we end up um, standing against a lot of things that Jesus would be for. So we end up losing our bearings mm-hmm. when we have a Christianity that isn't grounded on the cornerstone of our faith. Um, and um, and and I think that's why you know I like to say that Donald Trump didn't change Christianity. Uh, he revealed it. And Ooh. what we're seeing are a lot of these contradictions. Um, and, and Jerry Falwell is an extreme manifestation of a much deeper sickness in the church. But when we're trying to justify violence, um, and when we talk about Muslims with such hateful language, such violent language, that you're, you're, uh, podcast name is a good one, you know, <laughs> uh, um, be, because bad theology actually gets people killed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It becomes very, very violent. Um, the KKK to this day has an entire section of their website about their theology of the cross and why they light the cross and burnt, set the cross on fire in public places. And it has very toxic, um, colorized, um, theology about blackness and whiteness and light and darkness, right? And so Adolf Hitler, <laughs> he had the Bible in his hands as he did this atrocity, you know, uh, to, as he's killing Jewish folks, he used the Bible and he said, just as Jesus uh, cleansed the temple of Jews, I'm cleansing the world of them, right? So that theology, as one of my mentors said, when you, when you twist the cross, you get a swastika. Uh-huh. And when you twist theology, you can use the Bible and faith as a weapon. And certainly no one kills with the fervor and passion with which they kill when they believe that God is on their side. Absolutely, right? yeah. so that's, yeah. that's been true all through Christian history and other religious traditions as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and I wanted to ask you, Shane, a couple of weeks ago, we talked with uh, Brian Zahn, as we mentioned earlier, and um, Brian talks, talked a lot about America as religion um, and just kind of the idea that like it's it's. I mean, he, he we, we had a really great conversation about a church near him that they have the American flag on the flagpole outside and then the cro- the Christian flag below it. Um, and uh, so it kind of places things in this pl- in this positioning of like being an American is more important than being a Christ follower. Uh, and it seems it seems to me that a lot of that might correlate with this with just this idea of gun ownership. And uh, but even just violence is as, as, as our culture becomes more violent and more, dis, you know, divided across, you know, as we, I mean, even even though it's not right and left. I mean, it really is becoming very divisive uh, to be an American uh, in, you know, it's you can't ever be. Uh, an American and not be right or left in many people's minds. You can't be uh, an American to some people and not be a Christian, uh, which is, which is very odd to me. Um, but it seems, it seems to me that this whole issue with gun ownership and, you know, gun violence um, seems to correlate in many ways with this concept of America as a religion that Brian was talking about. And I wonder what if you have any thoughts on that too. Yeah, there's a lot to
2: unpack in what you said. And to, to start with, I think what we have uh, is a there's a version of American nationalism mm-hmm. that camouflages itself as Christianity. But yeah. it actually doesn't look much like Jesus at all. Now, when we look at the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, the meek, the peacemakers, we look at the fruits of the spirit that the scripture says, this is what God is like, gentleness, kindness, goodness, right? Love. Um, and we look at uh, the sermon on the Mount of Jesus, all those things like they, they, the, 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 the American nationalism, what it does, I think is, is our, our, one of our biggest dangers is that it is like a watered down version uh, that can inoculate people. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you get a, a vaccine is a watered-down version of the, of the disease that knocks it out of you. And I think what happens is a lot of people think that they are rejecting Christianity, but they're actually rejecting a watered-down version of American nationalism, mm-hmm. right? So that word inoculation, I think, is one of our big dangers in the United States because when people tell me that they've rejected Christianity, I tell them to describe what they've rejected. And usually, I've rejected the same thing because it's a Christianity that is left.
0: Yeah, yeah, it
2: have Jesus at the center, right? Uh, it's got the American flag at the center. I mean, we literally have churches like First Baptist in Dallas, Robert Jeffress, one of Trump's biggest defenders, where they sing "Make America Great Again" as an as, as a hymn. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. crazy. That's, that's, that's insane. You know? <laughs> the problem with America First is that it is a theological heresy. Because our Bible doesn't say, God bless America. It says, God so loved the world. Um, And what happens, I think, when we center America over everyone else is we actually sacrifice our identity as people who are born again, right? Who believe that what's born of the flesh is flesh, but the Spirit connects us in ways that transcend uh, our biology or our nationality, right? So the idea of America first, I mean, you can't imagine Jesus wearing a Rome first shirt, right? Like, <laughs> God, God's Rome right. Rome. And, and, and so what that means for us, I, m- here, Mother Teresa said it really well. She said, sometimes our biggest problem in the world is that the circle we put around our family is too small. Mm-hmm. So the, this, the, that we define our family just in terms of biology or nationality, right? The circle we put around our family is too small. And that's exactly what patriotism does, I think. is it's, it, A love for our own people is not a bad thing. But for Christians, our love doesn't stop at a border. And, you know, a wall can't hold it back. If someone's suffering um, in the encampments in Mexico as they're seeking asylum, it's just as tragic as if that were my mom. Or my dad, or my child—that's what it means to be born again. I think that's what Jesus is saying when they say your your mom and your brothers are here. And He says, "Who are my mom and my brothers?" Right? He has a different definition of family, yeah. and um, and that—that's I think some of our our danger. But the uh, one more thought on it is that what happens too is um, it is the um, eth- essence of um, using the Lord's name in vain. <laughs> Um, when like, for instance, we put, we brand on our money in God, we trust. Uh, so you start to go, what God and how much are we trusting? Uh, as Wendell Berry, you know, the great theologian, uh, and farmer, he says, um, our money might say in God, we trust, but our economy looks like the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you really, you know, as, as, Kierkegaard once said, Turing Kierkegaard said where everything is Christian, nothing is Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Because we end up branding everything as Christian and we end up losing our the, the even the, the distinctiveness of what it means to actually be Christian. Like when our, I I would rather it say like in God we trust um, on good days or at our best, you know, <laughs> or something yeah. like that. So yeah, but that that's I think the danger in America is is we brand everything within God we trust, and we're a Christian nation. And you, you go, well, actually, did you see what we did to the Natives and the Africans? Like, uh, there wasn't anything Christ-like about that, mm, you know? No. So we, we kind of selectively uh, remember, and we also, I think, it affects our theology. You know, it, it really does affect our theology as we, we think of things like America first, that that's not just a political statement. Um, yeah, but when you have Christians defending that, it, it's also a theology.
0: Yeah, and then uh, with, with the theology thing, too, something that uh, really stood out to me um, in your book is you, you told the story, and I'm going to mess up the, the quote exactly, but basically you, you told a, st- a powerful story about a child. You know, Jesus tells us to have childlike faith in this. A child looked around the streets of Philadelphia and said something along the lines of, why do we have all these gun shops, but there's like not a lot of deer to kill or something like that, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's exactly what they they had actually moved to Philadelphia from somewhere else, and there's a gun shop right around the corner from our house, and there were uh, dozens of other gun shops, and the, and this was like I think it was like eight years old or something. He said, "Why do we have so many gun shops when there aren't that many deer?" Mm-hmm. Um, the fact is, in America, we've got almost. Five times more gun dealers, legal gun dealers, than McDonald's restaurants. Five <laughs> times more. Wow. wow. So, <laughs> unprecedented. Anywhere else in the world, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That, and just, I guess real quick, too, because I want to uh, value, uh, you know, be honorable to your time, um, but we, uh, you tell us, as I've heard you tell a story before uh, that was really powerful to me. Uh, where you were out, um, I don't know, protesting is not the right word, but praying at one of these gun shops. And uh, a whole other group of people showed up uh, that were protesting against you guys while you were um, trying to pray, and, and people were telling their stories about how gun violence uh, affected them. Can you, can you share that with us? Is that okay? Yeah, sweet,
2: absolutely. Sweet. So we did we a number of, uh, what, what we started to do is say, okay, like, where are the guns coming from? And um, one of the things that we know is that just a handful of gun shops are responsible for um, selling the guns that are used in crimes, right? So 5% of the gun shops are responsible for like 90% of the crime guns. And these are the worst of the worst, right? Um, And one of those is in our neighborhood. And we began to vigil outside of it. And one of the other policy things that's tricky about this is that no one's allowed to know who those are. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is all held confidential. We were able to find out that this gun shop was was one in a, a study that was, was really terrible. So we, we were able to vigil outside of it. But we began to hold these prayer vigils, um, and we always made a commitment of nonviolence. We really grounded ourselves in prayer. We said no matter if counter-protesters show up, if they're mean— you know, we'll, we'll, if they go low, we'll go high, mm-hmm. Michelle Obama. You know, we'll, we will we will not um, yell at them. We will not, you know, uh, interact in negative ways with them. Um, so one of those um, times we had our vigil, we had, um, you know, we ended up having hundreds of people, but there were a hand, handful of these um, kind of gun uh, extreme folks that with flags and NRA stickers and stuff that came. And they ended up, um, gathering on the corner. And we said, you know what, we, uh, we actually said, I said, um, we're not here against you. We are here because we believe your lives matter, other people's lives matter. And we, um, uh, guns are taking too many people. And, um, and we decided not to out shout them. And even though we had a sound system and everything, we kind of went unplugged to try to not, you know, uh, just combat them by yelling louder or something, you know? And there was one particular moment where we just felt sort of moved by the spirit to pray. And we began praying the Lord's prayer, um, the the prayer Jesus taught, you know, our father who art in heaven. And as we began praying, they began singing over top of it, God bless America. And it was eerie, the Mm -hmm. feeling that it, and, and like you said, this is after, a number of folks have shared their stories of surviving gun violence, of losing their kids to gun violence. And we're just in a prayerful spirit kind of honoring that, that pain. And they're, they're literally kind of yelling that song over our prayers. And Mm -hmm. it was one of those times where I really felt like, um, there is an element of spiritual warfare that's happening in all this. And that's language I heard growing up in a charismatic church, you know, as a child, but, there's a scripture that says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but yeah. against principalities and powers. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I felt a lot like it was not just these eight people or something that were we were against, but it was something deep um, that um, that that manifested itself in this, you know, yelling over our prayers. And also, I think when we see people driven to do so much violence, you know, this guy that spelled Trump with. Guns and then went in with this white supremacist um, ideology. Like, that's not just something we come up with. Like, I think there's something deeply, um, uh, there's a spiritual force behind that, a, a force of hatred that that Jesus is bigger than, Mm -hmm. but I think we really have to name it and and to say, and that's also why I'm against the death penalty. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe more violence is going to solve our violence. I actually believe even someone like Dylan Roof, who was controlled by these terrible forces of evil and hatred and racism, who shot up Emmanuel AME church in the middle of worship. Like he did that, um, outside of himself, and I believe that God, Jesus, is able to um, to heal even a heart like that, and we have certainly a precedent in Scripture that that is true, you know, and it's why it's so beautiful that some of the victims of the AME shooting, like uh, Reverend Sharon Risher and others, her mom was killed, and she also Uh, spoke out against the death penalty you know that's happened after a lot of these mass shootings that people are so traumatized they don't want more death they want less death and they, they they want people to be obviously protected from folks like dylan roof but without killing him you know like it it only mirrors what he did for us to kill him um and and so that that's what i think we're trying to say consistently and what i feel fueled by jesus to say is that that violence is the disease not the cure mm-hmm. you know killings are the problem not the solution
0: yeah absolutely and i think ultimately uh when you know i run all all these things over in my mind and and think about it and pray about it i think what it really comes down to is either jesus is lord or he's not <laughs> and people have to make that decision and um you know, a lot of unfortunately, I think of a lot of uh, to use some language from Brian, he said uh, unintended truth telling happens. Um, you know, when we do things like the Marty was talking about with the American flag over the Christian flag or, um, you know, when we decide to skirt the words of Jesus to, you know, defend ourselves, uh, either Jesus is Lord or he's not. <laughs> and people have to make that decision. Uh, I guess for themselves. But that's that's kind of what it always comes back to for me, at least in you know, as a Christian.
2: Yeah, and when the early Christians said Jesus is Lord, they were explicitly saying Caesar is not. Exactly. You know, like, like, yeah. uh, it was a declaration. It was a political allegiance. It was an identity that redefined everything in our lives. And um and, and so that's why, you know, we, we think it's not uh that uh different to say Jesus is my commander in chief, mm-hmm, you know, or Jesus my president. Um it would have been very similar as to hearing Jesus is Lord, you know, two thousand years ago. But I think the challenge is not to disengage and just think, Absolutely. well, we're only we're only heavenly minded, like and all this political stuff doesn't matter. I think it's impossible to love our neighbor as ourself and ignore the policies that affect their lives, like immigration uh, and gun violence to say like policies at their best are designed to try to protect life. And how can we do a better job on all of these to make sure that everyone is able to flourish. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, uh, uh, just as we have, you know, uh, speed limits and laws for cars and you have to pass the driver's test and things like that. Like we can do the same with guns. Um, but this violence, you name it really well, it's not just the guns, you know, it's, we have a whole chapter, as you know, on the big guns. Mm -hmm. The fact is like, I think violence is one of the original sins of our country, Absolutely. Absolutely. and it continues to be one of our idols, is, is our belief in that violence will solve our problems. So after 9-11, we immediately began bombing and killing thousands and thousands of people in Iraq and Afghanistan who really actually had no connection directly to 9-11. You know, 15 of the 19 terrorists in 9-11 came from Saudi Arabia. And we're still selling weapons <laughs> to Saudi <calculate. laughs> uh, yeah. so, yeah. Arabia. And, and, you know, when it comes to the big guns, the bombs, like we have the capacity of over 50,000 Hiroshima bombs. We've got bombs 80 times the Hiroshima bomb. Um, and, you know, half of the nuclear weapons in the world, um, we've got them. And so we, we, when we look at that, we go, and we're the only country that has used those on a civilian population in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We killed hundreds of thousands of people. And so this, we have contributed to so much violence in the world. Um, And we continue to stockpile the most bombs, the most guns. We, you know, so that, I I think we've got to really declare Jesus um, in the midst of that. What does it mean to align with the Prince of Peace? Uh, in the belly of the beast when it comes to the, the you know, weapons, weaponry of the world. Um, and uh, I, I, I love it. You know, I, I think we stand on that promise of Scripture that love casteth out fear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I am convinced that love and fear are enemies that cannot coexist. Uh-huh. Fear doesn't make room for love and love doesn't have room for fear. And so we really do have to choose. Uh, will we be people who are driven by love or people who are driven by fear? And and we live in a country where fear is compelling so many of our policies right now. And when fear instead of love is compelling us, we do really terrible things to people. We That's happened all through history. And so I think the invitation of all of us, uh, for all of us, is to say, what would America look like if love rather than fear we're driving our policies uh, around immigration and guns and everything else. You know, um, let's let's be known for love rather than fear.
0: Yeah, I think what's so beautiful about that too is is at least I hope that is something that that everybody can get around. I don't think anybody is a fan of of people dying. I don't think anybody wants to see more death. And I think once we can we can realize that and come together on the things that we agree on. That you know, we we don't want people dying, and that we would much rather live in a community of love and not fear, and then ground that, like you're saying, on Christ. Like, that's just I don't I don't know how else to go forward outside you know aside from that. So that's that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh,
1: yeah, I, Marty. I would I would say I would say though, and not not as a devil's advocate kind of thing, but also I think that there are people that uh, I remember. Um, He's no longer a Facebook friend of mine because the things he began posting began to be incredibly polarizing and uh, just incredibly hateful. But I remember when Donald Trump was elected president, he said— Uh, he, he, he Facebooked and I quote, let's get people together and assassinate him. Wow. And so like, I think there are people that enjoy the concept of like, or, or or they don't enjoy the concept, but they just feel like it's the popular thing to say. And they say things that are wrong and they know that they probably actually don't feel that way or would be brave enough to do something like that. But, or maybe they are. And you know, there's, there's just someone that's dealing with a different issue. Um, so Thing about being
2: aligned with jesus is that we can call out evil wherever it serves right like, right we're not we're not aligned with a party we mm-hmm. have no like partisan interest so if there's violent theology and violent rhetoric uh then we we call it out you know yeah. um and right. we try to mirror something better and self-righteousness has no political camp <laughs> there's yeah. plenty of progressive folks that are very self-righteous um and very intolerant, <laughs> sure, sure, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just as there are conservatives that do the same. Um, one of the things that I think, we, you know, I know we're ca- wrapping up, but but we, we do have to, like, think about how we are conditioned to fear Absolutely. as well, Absolutely. right? Like, because we are conditioned to fear black and brown folks as white folks. And yet yeah, yep. when you look at the, domestic terrorism, um, the recent studies that, that are coming out over the last few years are that, um 71% of the acts of domestic terrorism have been from white men mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. think of these recent mass shootings we even think of the big bombings like Timothy McVeigh and others and yet we are being told you know by Jerry Falwell that we need to fear muslims and you're two times more likely to be killed by a white supremacist in America than a muslim So, you know, I think that that we're being conditioned to fear in a certain way um, that we really have to name that, too. And in the book, we we cite the Cato Institute, which uh, blows away all this fear-mongering of immigrants Mm -hmm, and refugees. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. it names, you know, 10 things that are more likely to kill you than an immigrant or a refugee. And they are things like cows. (laughs) Um, (laughs) swing sets is one of them, right? One of of my favorites is... uh, a vending machine falling on you uh, is more likely to kill you than an immigrant or refugee. But that's not how we're being conditioned to fear. So I think that's the beautiful thing about about our faith is that we we can live fearless um, and, and, and to, you know, kind of stand on the side of love. And this is certainly a moment where we need to do that. Um, uh, it's, it's a decisive moment, I think, in our country. And so much of the violent policies are coming from a fear and an insecurity, especially of white folks that have held the reins of power for so long. And now on the backs of a black president uh, and a changing Congress, this country is changing. And I think there is sort of what folks have called, you know, a white fragility or a white lash, as Van Jones says, has come back and said, we want to make America great again. And what they're really saying is we want to make America white again. We want to make sure that we hold the power again. Um, and that's, I think, a really, really dangerous stuff that makes its way into our theology and everything else. Just as we had Christians who were defending um, slavery with the Bible, there will be folks that defend white supremacy um, and and defend making America great again with the Bible. Yep, yep. Um, and, and so we've got a the answer to bad theology, as you guys know, is not no theology, but it's good theology. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> theology that's grounded in Jesus and yeah.
0: yeah. Right, and some might say theology yeah. that doesn't suck.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that. would a softball on that yeah, one. Man. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Thank
0: you. That's perfect. I, man, that the power thing trips me out. I thought about this the other day, um, like. As Christians, and we see this, you know, when Constantine uh, declared, you know, Christianity the official religion of Rome, and then we start going after all this power stuff. We've been given the greatest power that exists as Christians. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and we go after all this worldly power stuff. Like we're we're called to be shepherds of transformational power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the the same power that that resurrected Christ from the dead. Lives inside of, inside of us. Now, man, you can give the altar. Call. we're tripping, man. Yeah. We're tripping hard over this other stuff. So I, I don't know. Well, maybe we can wrap up with that because I want to be, you know, faithful to your time because we we really appreciate you taking your your time to speak with yeah. us and uh, we're going to uh, be sure to put you know a whole bunch of stuff in our our show notes uh, to link people to your book uh, to things like Raw Tools, which we didn't get to really touch on too much, but that's something super cool. I. I'm personally looking more into that. I, I want more information about that. And um, for folks that didn't catch it raw,
2: as war flipped backwards. Yeah, we're at rawtools.org. We're turning guns into garden tools and other beautiful things. So yeah, man, it's been great to be with you. And uh, I, I'm so thankful to be a guest on your show. Yeah, thank you so much, Shane. We appreciate it.
0: All right, Marty. Well, uh, that was a a great conversation. Uh, we're so thankful for, for Shane and his time. Do you have any, uh, closing thoughts that you would like to to say?
1: Yeah. I, I, one of the, one of the things that I really appreciated about it was just like his, his candor. Yeah. He wasn't necessarily, he was throwing shade, uh, to the like the powers that be as far as those who are interested in you know going after fear and going after evil but not necessarily doing it in a way that's like oh you know so and so's an evil person or so and so's a terrible person and I, and what I I just really like that because it 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 kind of you know sort of like Jesus takes away the like the the rebuttal oh yeah well guess what you said you know and and it it, it takes that away so you can't like Oh, but, but, well, wait a minute, you were nice. <laughs> and um, I think what I really appreciated about that for me, you know, I didn't get a chance to make my bold statement, but I was so much more interested in what he had to say. Um, but, you know, as somebody who, you know, definitely, you know, a few years ago was like someone who specifically leaned one specific way politically um, mm-hmm. and felt like that was just the, like, quote unquote, the right way to lean uh, and like the right way to believe in those types of things, you know, the idea of, You know, looking at the evil that we experience in our country all the time uh, and like, you know, for instance, like how, how the conservative, you know, lobbyists will definitely lean towards the NRA and gun ownership and those types of things. However, you know, there's also... The, the whole dichotomy of just like what's happening with the people at the border and, you know, with the death penalty and those types of things. And so it becomes very interesting to see how that comes together. And um, so my bold statement that I'll that I'll make this is more personal. I think that I just, you know, really um, over the couple over the last you know year or so, I've really kind of been dropping away from the political scene in general. But uh, just hearing Shane speak really kind of takes it and frames it, you know, more like how politics can, doesn't have to be everything that I think about at all times, but it can instead be more so like I can look at it from this bird's eye view and see that like neither side is have, has anything great to offer anywhere. Um, yeah. So I, I would have loved to ask him, you know, how, how do I, how do I reconcile that? You know, how do I, cause he had mentioned earlier in the podcast, like, um, being, you know, how can we be involved in politics, um, while not necessarily saying I have allegiance to a specific party or a specific individual. So I would have loved to have asked just to hear him, hear him say that, but maybe he can, uh, share it with us the next time he comes on. Maybe the next time he comes on, we can talk about, you know, politics specifically and just like how he reconciles that and, or something like that. So yeah, it was awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was really good. And, um, I appreciate what you had to say too. like about his candor and just you know the way he carries himself and presents himself because he often uh, gets like, in my experience, he gets like characterized as just this like, like crazy like liberal dude who's just saying stuff like with an agenda or whatever. But like when you actually which this is true about most people, when you actually sit down and take the freaking time to talk to somebody. Have a conversation, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then you see his heart behind things and also you see, wow, he's not a crazy liberal. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Like, that's not what it is. But he is committed deeply to Jesus and again, his his ethic that I, and I said this to him when, when he was still with us, his ethic is so consistent across the board. And I think that's what scares people because he is willing to stick with Jesus, even when it's not convenient, even when it could lead to it to death. And, uh, a lot of us aren't willing to do that. And again, I'll just say either Jesus is Lord or he's not. And, yep. uh, those people can decide. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's a bold statement or, a. Th- uh, it sounds kind of judgmental, but I don't know. I'll stand on it. I'll stand with Jesus. He seems like a pretty good person to stand with.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you stand with Jesus and Jesus alone, chances are you're going to make a lot of really great decisions. Um <laughs> if you stand <laughs> if you stand with Jesus and something else, you're, you're there's going to just inevitably come a time where you're conflicted in the choice you need to make. I mean, I think yeah. about like, I mean, okay, I'll just say it. I'll just be I'll just be brutally honest and say Um, you know, when in the 2016 presidential election, I, I voted for Donald Trump. I felt like he had a lot more to offer than the competition. Um, I felt like he was the guy that, you know, could lead us and and in many ways, you know, was a part of the sort of listening to the political podcasts and that side and kind of really getting my information from that. I tried to be as unbiased as possible uh, to come up with who I wanted to vote for. Um, and as I, but then, you know, As things started happening with like the financial aspects, you know, that that Donald Trump has done with our country, I was like, wow, like, see, like this was he's like it was a really good decision to vote for him. Um, But what but now with the different things that are happening um, with like the people at the border and like even just like if you read, I mean, the border thing is less, you know, less so, in my opinion, in some ways, I mean, I, we don't have to talk about that, of course, that's a that's a that's a uh, that's a watermelon sized issue, of course, in a in a in a, in a on, on the golf course of, you know, <laughs> you compare golf balls to watermelon size. But um, the thing that really kind of gets me, though, with him now is that if you look at like his Twitter feed specifically, you see him specifically targeting individuals in the in like the political scene. And yeah. not and not just like saying like so and so and I don't agree, but like specifically calling people names, uh is like a child would do in like grade school. You know, huh. like uh like I remember he was referring to Josh, you may not be familiar with these names because I know you're less interested in these types of things, but um Mika and Joe Brzezinski'd have a show called Morning Joe. Um, or at least they did, because I've been so out of the political scene. I don't Hmm. know if they still do anymore, but it's like a TV show, uh, kind of going over the politics of the week and they're married. And, um, he, he referred to the Joe as, or to the show as the Joe and, or the Mika and psycho show or the Joe and psycho show, like refer, like called one of them a psycho. Um, and then, and then called the, you know, was calling the, the, the mayor of Baltimore, a racist, um, Huh. And like I mean, and like maybe he is. I, I don't know. I don't know the guys like I can't speak about that guy into, like specifically or individually. But like the big idea for me was just like it became difficult to be someone that put Jesus first and said, you know, I'm going to focus my life on Jesus and the things that he's taught and the things that He's said and be a fan of a man that's not doing that. You know, and right. and and so for me, it's it's and but but then as I began thinking about it more, it's like it's less about being a fan of this guy or not being a fan of this guy. It's more about like saying, you know, where am I aligning my values? Where am I aligning my right. life? Where am I putting my value? Like the the overall generality of value in my life. What's important to me? And so it's like okay, like maybe Donald Trump will do something that's great. Okay, great. Then like I'll be I'll be celebratory over that issue but not over the guy. You know, maybe yeah, he'll absolutely. maybe he'll do something that's really 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 terrible and outwardly. And then I'll be I'll be mournful over that situation but not over the man and and and, and allow and allow Jesus to to take care of that. I know that God is sovereign over those things. And some people would say, well, if you're not going to specifically condemn Donald Trump, then you're just as bad as he is. And I, I just don't agree with that. I mean, I, I think that every one of us would rather be judged on the merits of what people know the most about us rather than specific decisions and, and issues that we do well or make mistakes. Make I mean, if we were judged on if, if we were friends, Josh, you and I just specifically on the big things that have happened in our lives together, like the, the big experiences, whether they were good or bad, we would have no basis for a relationship, no basis for (laughs) like saying I like you or I don't like you. Um, and so I think about like, you know, if I knew Donald Trump personally and I was friends with him personally, I might be able to be like, well, yeah, like I didn't like that you said or did this, but like, I have this other thing that I can judge you off of and like in my mind and like kind of reconcile, like I I should be a fan of you or not. I don't have any Mm. of that with him. All I have are the big picture issues, the good things and the bad things, you know, and many of them are, there's a lot more bad, I think than there are good. Uh, But that doesn't mean I know the guy. Right. It means I know those decisions. And so, like, a lot of that for me just kind of falls on the idea, like, I'm not going to put my trust in this man that I don't know. I'm not going right. to even say, like, right. man, I'm a fan of this guy that I don't know. I'm just going to simply say, you know what, I'm going to align with Jesus and then I'm going to be I'm going to be celebratory over the things that are about Jesus and that are that align with Jesus and align with what he said in the Bible. And I'm going to be mournful over the things that go against what Jesus did. And I'm not going to necessarily hold that over Donald Trump. I'm going to hold it over everybody that I get it, that I involve myself with. And I'm going to be focused on the cross and what Jesus was about more than anything else and allow that to shape my political views and my world views. Um, I mean, I don't know why that was such a revelation to me, but like as I was hearing Shane speak, it just kind of was coming to my mind like, like it's okay to be celebratory over the good things that are happening sure. in our country absolutely. and to be excited about them as long as those good things align with Christ. Right. If they don't align with Christ, I don't I don't want them. I don't want them at all. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think I think you you hit the nail right on the head. Jesus has to be the one we stand with. Jesus is the 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 bottom line Jesus is the solid rock. And uh, anytime, like Shane said, we're not, you know, we're not allegiant to a specific party, whether it's Democrat, Republican, Green Party, whatever the other one is. Um, shoot, man, Libertarian, whatever. <laughs> like, you, we don't align with that. We align with Christ. And when things look like Jesus, then great. When they don't, then, like, that's not cool. And when we... What we do is when we give our ultimate allegiance to a party or something like that, then we feel like we have to endorse everything they do, and then ultimately Jesus is no longer Lord. We like what we get angry about, what we get passionate about. That's where our true allegiance is, and if it's not things of Christ, then like, I don't know. Maybe you got to do some soul searching. Um, yeah, but I don't know. We're so we're pretty far over time, <laughs> uh, but we this is a good conversation, man. And I think. Uh, what we should do, though, is we'll wrap up, and obviously you guys can find us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, those kind of things, but you might notice that our website no longer exists. There is no TheologyDoesntSuck.com, but what there is is Patreon.com slash TheologyDoesntSuck. And so we have officially launched a Patreon feed uh, for those of you who would like to support this show financially. Uh t- Yeah, to allow us to get better equipment, to pay for our our hosting of the podcast, (laughs) because we currently lose money on this thing, Um, basically just to make the show better, to get it out to more people, to bring hope to more people, to to help people cling to Jesus. Uh, That's our intention. Um, And so for as little as $1 a month, um, you can help support the show. And also, there's some different tiers. Uh, We're working on some bonus content uh, for Patreons only. So uh, that'll be pretty cool. Um, aside from that, Marty, anything else you want to say?
1: Yeah, just just real quick on the pat- on the patron stuff. Like, guys, this is not like you know something that is gonna like. Pay for us to like pay our bills and stuff like that. (laughs) Damn it! I thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) And like also on top of that, guys, this is not like our 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 hope to like suck you dry or anything like that. Like this is like this is literally just us knowing that like for us to do this, this is a sacrifice um, in many ways. Uh, Like for instance, one of the ways, one of the like underlying pieces you may not realize exists is we've got an awesome producer named Matt, and uh, Matt and his family. He's a he's a pastor, just like Josh and I. And like Matt is he in his spare time, he produces these episodes and like takes the takes the raw junk that Josh and I provide him with and like takes that and makes it sound awesome and, and be great. (laughs) <laughs> um, but we, but we also recognize that like where we're at, we can do better, and we can sound better, and we can um, have more, have have a much more professional sounding thing. And so for us, this is less about, this is not about us making money so we can go out to lunch. This is like for us to say like we want to do this really great, and we want you guys to say like man like they they could they consistently get better they consistently improve and like this is not even really for us but you know i truth be told josh has sacrificed this podcast for this podcast way more than i have um, when it comes to the financial side. And so I, I would just love to see, uh, Josh be supported and the love that Josh has been around since the beginning. And, uh, uh <laughs> really in truth be told, like a lot of this, a lot of this podcast ideas was Josh's idea. And, um, so, uh, supporting us is supporting Josh, supporting me and supporting Matt. Uh, but it's supporting the general idea that like, man, like. This 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 podcast really does a lot for I think a lot of people. Uh, we've just had some great discussions this week about our our episode last week about. Um, you know, people that have just found pain in the church, and you know just how these podcasts have helped in some ways. And and guys, I just think that's so important for the for the love of Christ to be shown in any way, shape, or form. So I mean, you can you can look at it a t- as a tithe or whatever, like as a ministry or whatever. Like uh, I don't know, Josh probably has scriptural and theological <laughs> things on that, but I mean the idea is like we just want to we just want to do this better, and we want we want this to be something that uh, brings the light of Jesus to as many people as possible so uh, and then you never know maybe maybe that can turn into like some extremely extremely large guests that like only charge uh like they will only come on if we pay them but like maybe we could then (laughs) like use that those funds to do that so like that could be great so yeah yeah it could be
0: yeah absolutely too just just real quick
1: deco marty
0: it's not about building a brand it's not about building a show it's not about uh, popularity or anything like that ultimately and i know i can speak for Marty. Uh, when I say this, like, we want to help build a community. We want to build a community of people that, that care about each other, that love each other, and that want to see the light of Christ, you know, spread everywhere. And ultimately, we want to be able to help people help each other, in fact, cling yeah. to Jesus, even when, like we are saying, uh, the church does shitty things or Christians hurt us um, or whatever. We we want to cling to Jesus and uh, see his name lifted high. So, boom roasted all right well thank you guys so much for listening we're excited uh, for the patron feed go check it out and as always go caps go blackhawks